0: This is the first Sabbath in the month of December. And if you've been here long enough, you know that I like to take the month of December to unwrap the stories that surround this time of the year. This time of the year is very instrumental. Before Thanksgiving even came, I think before and we don't observe Halloween, but before Halloween even came, we started seeing all the accoutrements of Christmas showing up. And the commercials increased, and Black Friday, and Cyber Monday, and all these things just started exacerbating themselves, boiling to the surface. Everybody was aiming for our pockets, but I want to make it clear, this is the time of the year where we need to remind the world that God is aiming for their hearts, not their pockets. What's in your pocket is temporary, but if the Lord is in your heart, that's eternal, That's why the Lord has impressed me to share this message this morning called Divine Appointments. It is a message about the key to thriving Christianity. Let us pray. Gracious, loving Father in heaven, you see us in the final process. We see ourselves in the journey. Sometimes we see others where they used to be or where they may presently be struggling to display the characters that connect them to you. But Lord, I thank you that you see us in the final stage. You see us on the podium of the victorious. You see us on the sea of glass. You see us walking through the gates into the new Jerusalem. But Lord, today as we talk about the journey, As we talk about divine appointments, we pray that we can hear the voice of God speaking to us, saying, my child, I understand where you are, but I also know where I'm leading you. And send your Holy Spirit to speak to each of these hearts that we may leave encouraged and commit ourselves to the work that you began, that you promised to finish, in Jesus' name, amen. amen. We're going to read from the book of Luke this morning. It's on the side screen if you have your Bibles and you'd like to turn there. I so encourage you to do that. It's always good to become familiar with the Word. The Word. Throughout the years, I have, um, as I've grown, I remember having a go-to Christmas sermon. We're in the December season. We know this is not Christmas Sabbath, but I've had a go-to Christmas sermon. And then I had two go-to Christmas sermons, and I had three go-to Christmas sermons, and I had five. And the more I read the story around the account of the birth of Jesus, the life of Mary Joseph, uh, the governor, the wise men, the shepherds, the shepherds in the field, be guided, being guided by the stars, I begin to see that there's so much meat in God's word that it's like going to an, a magnificent restaurant, eating a meal that you are just enamored by, and you make the mistake of asking the chef, what's in it? <laughs> Only to realize that you can't just put those ingredients together like he or she can. Nobody can put the story together like God. And when you take the time to hang on each word and each nuance, you begin to see, Ron, that there are certain things in there that God hides behind the veil of deeper prayer. That's why you've got to be in an attitude of prayer when you open God's Word because He doesn't just show you things if He doesn't feel your heart is at the place where it's time to reveal it. And so I've gone through the 35 years of sermons, and from the days when I would print a sermon on a half sheet of paper, when the print was so small that I could read it, now it's at 16-point type on my iPad, so I could see it. And then I went to the, in my garage, I had a box of small envelope sermons, hundreds of sermons that I printed, and I stored them in my garage, but then one day I digitized them all, and then they were on my laptop, And then I went through them again and again and again, and like a chef, working out a really good recipe. I've learned that if you take a sermon and you keep working it, like a chef that comes up with, that's the perfect taste, then one day God says, five years ago, you thought that that was a good message, but look at it today. So God has taken me back to the archives of my attempts to bring me to his chef kitchen of divine appointments. So today, we're going to look at a story that is replete with pictures and words that will say to us, I know where you are, I know where you've been, I know where you're headed, and I know how you're going to get there. Just stick with me, and the journey will be sweet. Let's dive into the story in the book of Luke. Luke brings out details that Matthew doesn't because Matthew was a tax collector, but Luke was a doctor. And when doctors look at birth, they see it quite different than the guy who used to collect money. He sees the doctor bill, but the doctor sees the deliverance of the child. And so he focuses on the well-being of the mother, her journey, and all that it entails. He looks at the father he looks at the destination and he starts pulling it together. And this week we're going to consider just two verses in the story of the miracle of divine appointments. We read in Luke chapter 2, verse 6 and 7. So it was that while they were there, we'll find out where there is. The days were completed for her to be delivered. I'm already, I'm already in a different mode. And she brought forth her firstborn son and wrapped him in swaddling cloths and laid him in a manger because there was no room for them in the inn. When I was reading that story, I thought to myself, God has a day when he knows he's going to deliver what he's been planting in your life for a long time. God's got a delivery date for every one of us. He plants in us dreams and goals and visions. He plants within us theological ideas that have not yet come to fruition in our understanding because God has a delivery date for everything he plants in us. And we know very well that what was planted in Mary's life was not the attempt of Joseph, but it was a divine implantation. It was done by the work of the Holy Spirit. When God uses His Spirit to plant anything in our lives, He has a delivery date. And let me tell you something. Don't try to present it before God says it's the delivery date. Because what you say before God's timing will be a premature message. If you try to communicate it before you understand it, it's a premature message. Your sermon could be stillborn because you didn't give God time to develop that message in your life. I found in this story, so to appreciate what Jesus has done for us, we must first begin to appreciate and exhibit what Jesus has done in us. Let's say that one more time. To appreciate what he's doing for us, We have to appreciate what he's doing in us. You see, when the Lord decided to call this young lady named Mary and choose her to be the delivery system, the FedEx for heaven, the UPS for humanity, when God decided to make her the pipeline for salvation to this world, she had no idea that her life was about to be turned inside out, upside down, and every which way but loose. But God wouldn't choose her had he not known that the time came for what God was going to do in her. Can you imagine the responsibility of being chosen by God to be the delivery system for the hope of humanity? Some people would have said, she's too young. She need to get rid of that child. That's why I'm going to just make it very clear. I don't, I don't believe nor support, and I know this may sound political. I'm so glad that when my mother was unmarried, she chose to keep me and not get rid of me. Look at me today. You may not like everything about me, but God is still working on me. Give him time. My delivery date is on the way. But God plants seeds in us, and he brings them to fruition And I caution you, don't try to bring to fruition what God has not set a date for yet in your life. Wait upon the Lord and he shall renew your strength. When the time comes, you will rise up with wings like eagles. You will run and you won't be weary. You will walk and you won't be faint. Why? Because you waited on the Lord as he says, wait, I say, on the Lord. You know, it's good to be a Christian and know it. But it's better to be a Christian and show it. A lot of people say they're Christians. In this world today, a lot of people are Christians. Christians are attacking the White House. Christians are arguing on Facebook and Twitter and Instagram. Lord have mercy. The title that we take and the way we take God's name in vain. It's one thing to be a Christian and know it. But let me say in this day and age, it's better to be a Christian and show it. And people need... Evidence that our lives are under the guidance and tutelage of Jesus, not just when we're in church, not just when we're on the 3ABN set, but when we're on Instagram and Facebook and YouTube. And I don't—I still don't know what TikTok is for. I, I'm not even going on that. But social media, there needs to be Christians in social media. Say it again, Bob real Christians Amen. we were in New York City once and this is a terrible story I'm kind of embarrassed to tell it but I'm gonna go ahead and tell you just so you can see how far God has taken me uh, we were we went to visit New York we had moved to New York we had moved from New York we were living in the Midwest we were living out here actually and we went to New York to visit, and we were staying not too far from the Madison Square Garden in a hotel. We just went to spend a few days in New York. You know, there are certain times of the year that are beautiful in New York City. This is one of those times of the year. And we used our miles and found a hotel nearby. And we said, what are we going to do today? We just had nothing to do it was during, during the day of the week. And we decided, well, are there any talk shows we could go to? And we said, ah, oh, we said, well, can we go to Good Morning America? Well, that, well, can we go to? No, that's already King. We made the mistake of going to, uh, yeah, Maury Povich. I did not know we were stepping into a hornet's nest. I, this is during 1999 when I was in New York for Net 99. Thank you, sweetheart. We went to Maury Povich only to realize when the program began, we don't need to be in here. Amen. Because that's the program where they fight. Amen. You know, they'd be throwing out on the, on the, they'd be fighting each other. And But there was a guy in line who had on his hat, you know, the slogan of a Christian. You know, and uh, I love the Lord or whatever the caption was, I heart Jesus. So we thought, well, well at least another Christian's in here. Well, when the fight broke out on the, on the stage, he said, hit him, punch him. Hit. And I'm thinking, I thought he was a Christian. Yeah. He took his hat off and was encouraging the people on stage to beat each other up. And we tried our best to hide. Somebody in Thompsonville saw us. And when we came back, they said, pastor, we saw you and Andrew and that was the first and the last. So you got to watch out. God has a way of outing you when you think you could hide from him. It's good to be a Christian and know it. It's better to be a Christian and show it. Amen, somebody. But as you dive into the story, if you think that waiting 364 days before Christmas is a long time, try waiting 4,000 years for the greatest gift ever given to humanity. My wife received a card in the mail yesterday, and I I thought, why couldn't I have gotten this caption? But I'm going to use it right now. The writer who sent this card to her, she said, the greatest gift ever given to the world was not put under a tree, but it was put on a tree. Jesus. And I grabbed that, and I thought, wow, how did I miss that? Because God had not yet brought me to the delivery time to embrace that until yesterday. The greatest gift ever given was not put under a tree, but was put on a tree. Heaven's time. It took 4,000 years, but heaven's time is precise. As with the second advent, so with the first. Nothing happens outside of God's timetable. Everything is under the guidance of heaven. That's why we read in Galatians 4.4, 4, the Bible says... But when the fullness of time had come, what did God do? God sent forth His Son, born of a woman, born under the law. Everything that happens is on God's timetable. Heaven knows no haste, and heaven knows no delay, as it is in time For heaven, it also is the same for us. It is the same for a woman bearing a child. Heaven knows no haste, and heaven knows no delay. Don't try to hurry. What God knows needs time to develop in your life. When you begin to read the story, you begin to understand what God's timing was all about. We read in the story of the development of the child, John, of the development of the journey of Mary and Joseph, of the time of the birth of Jesus. And you see these words being repeated, and it came to pass in those days. It applies to the journey of Mary and Joseph, but it also applies to the birth of John the Baptist. And when it, rep- when it applies to the birth of John the Baptist, the Bible says, it came to pass in those days, referring to John the Baptist, and this I tried to wrap my head around because John the Baptist had to be born before Jesus. Now you got to grab that. Chronologically in his earth ministry, he was older, but he never lived longer than Christ. He was before Jesus, yet Jesus was before him. He was born in a world to introduce Jesus in a world that Jesus made. That'll mess you up. And Mary was Jesus' delivery system, but Jesus was Mary's designer. That'll mess you up. That's the problem. Some people try to explain divine things in human language. That's why some people are still trying to figure out the role of the Holy Spirit. You can't figure that out. Because it's too deep for your finite mind. It's like an ant trying to explain how the World Trade Center was built let's leave divine things where they are only understood by God. And I've learned in that particular, we stumble over things that God never intended for us to dive into. But When you look now at the things he makes clear, he says, the secret things belong to the Lord, but those things that are revealed belong to us and to our children. Most people don't have problems with the things that they don't understand but they pay a lot of attention to the things they don't understand because they ignore the things that they do understand. So they come up with questions like, what was the race of Adam? Human. Thank you, April. Human. When people ask me, what's my race? I say, human. <laughs> yeah, I'm all four flavors, red and yellow, black and white. But John had to be born before Jesus. Malachi refers to him as Elijah coming before. Elijah coming before. When John was preaching and people went out to hear John's sermon, Jesus said, what did you go out to see? A man in goodly clothing? What did you go out to see? And when they tried to figure out who he was, they went through a list of names, and and they came to the name Elias, Elijah. They said, is he Elijah? And Jesus said, if you accept that message, he is. But heaven has everything set on a scale. So when the time came, when the fullness of time had come, Jesus pulled out his earthbound itinerary. And I can't wait to get to heaven to ask, how did that happen? What actually happened that you knew the time was right to leave heaven and come down here to lay down the plan of salvation? What happened? What actually clicked for you and the Father to say, it's time to go? When I think of heaven's timetable, Humanity is powerless to hasten the Savior's arrival. We couldn't hasten it the first time. And I don't believe we could hasten it the second time. Because when Jesus says, No man knows the day nor the hour. No, not the angels of heaven, but my Father only. Meaning the Father knew the day And the hour. And then we read in Isaiah 49 that from ancient times he declared things that are not yet done. But suffice it to say, when the time came, Jesus landed on schedule. Come on, somebody. He landed on schedule. He who inhabited eternity stepped into time. He who laid aside his royal throne chose a rude manger. He departed the courts of heaven with no guarantee of returning. He traded the praise of men for the plotting of demons, and he did all that just to save us. We won't even understand that. I mean, we hear that. We say, for by grace are you saved through faith, but we don't even embrace that. We've heard that for so long that to some of us is just another song Jesus gave his life to save you. We've heard that so much that we're not going to understand or appreciate what he has done for us until he does something in us. So when I read the Bible and I think, Lord, why didn't you come there? And why didn't you come there? Isaiah the prophet steps up and taps me on my forehead, and he says these words in Isaiah 46, verse 9 and 10. Remember the former things of old, for I am God, and there is no other. I am God, and there is none like me. I'm in charge. I could declare the end from the beginning and from ancient times, things that are not yet done, and then I can say, my counsel shall stand, and I will do all my pleasure Can I say today, I am so glad that the end of the world is not going to be coming by some political enactment, but by the hands of God. Isn't that right? You see, we think, is it going to be COVID-related or mask-related or edict-related or Sabbath-related or or Sunday law-related? No, it's going to be Jesus-related. It's not end on a down note. When the gospel of the kingdom shall be preached in all the world as a witness to all nations, say with me, then shall the end come. It's not ending on a bad note. It's ending on a good note. God's got good news. But long before the journey began for Mary and Joseph, long before the appointment of John, long before the delivery of Jesus, God saw it all along. And he put into place... He put into place components to help the story unfold. Let's go back to Luke chapter 2 and begin to see this beautiful story unfold. I'm going in the Bible to Luke chapter 2. How wonderful it is that we have these words preserved for us that we can look in the Bible and begin to pair into the operation of heaven and understand that God appointed His Son to do all these things Just to save us. Luke chapter 1, verse 2. We read the words. Luke chapter 2, verse 1. A decree went out from Caesar Augustus that all the world should be registered. Some translations say taxed. Some contain the word registered. But nonetheless, verse 2 says, this census first took place while Quirinius was governor in Syria. Now when you look at the census, let's just study that for a brief moment. The census was not only to determine your roots and to register your property, but when the census was taken, no matter where you were from or what you owned, the census was a time to leave where you were and go back to where you came from so that you can be accounted for in your own community. It's different than today. In those days, everybody had to be in place in their community, and a headcount was taken of all the people in Thompsonville, all the people in West Frankfurt, all the people in Benton. That's synonymous to our day. But you had to go back to where you came from in order to be a part of the census. That's why we read in verse 2, of Luke chapter 3, so all went to be registered, everyone to what? His own city. At the time, Mary and Joseph lived in their own city, Nazareth. But it was even deeper than that. It was not just their own city of where they were living, but it was the ancestral distinctions that made the difference in where they ended up. According to customs, Caesar Augustus not only registered people by city, but also by ancestral distinction, meaning where's your father from and where's your father's father from? Go to that city. Go to that city and be registered. So let's see the ancestry of this couple, Mary and Joseph. Matthew 1, verse 17, takes us to the ancestry. The Bible says, so all the generations from Abraham to David are how many generations? 14. From David until the captivity in Babylon are what? 14. And from the captivity in Babylon until the Christ are what? 14. Add it up. 14 times 3 is what? 42. 42 generations from David to Christ. And so when you look at the story, you discover right away where you live is not always as important as where you're from. Go back to Luke chapter 2, and let's see the unfolding of the story. Right now, we're going through the unfolding of the story. We're going to dive into application in just a moment. We're we're trying to get Mary and Joseph to where God knew they always would be, and he's using their lineage to guide their path so that Jesus could be born in the city of his ancestry. Luke chapter 2, verse 4 and 5. Let's go to Luke chapter 2, verse 4 and 5. The Bible says, Joseph also went up from Galilee... Out of the city of what? Nazareth into Judea. To the city of what? David. That's the ancestral line. Which is called Bethlehem. Because he was of the house and lineage of what? David. To be registered with Mary, his betrothed wife, who was with child. Now. (laughs) I read some commentary. I like to read different Bible commentaries. To travel while Mary is that close to being delivered, to travel that close to the point of delivery meant that the census was not optional. You had to go. Some people suggested that Mary intentionally went to Bethlehem because she understood the prophecies. But let's go on and further and unpack that. But the distance to travel, the mode of transportation, and the lateness of her pregnancy laid that theory to rest. When I say the mode of transportation, let me help you understand, she didn't get to Bethlehem in a Tesla. She got there on the four-wheel drive of a donkey. Uh, 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 uh. It didn't have any air conditioning. There were no pillows. There was no, huh? There was no air ride. The only shock was the absorption of the ground. And depending on how the donkey felt that day. No rhythm in his steps. But let me say something. God may choose the dumbest mode of transportation. But as long as I get to where God wants me to be, I'm okay with that. Some people complain about how God got you there. Oh, brethren, it doesn't matter how he got you there. That he got you there is what means all the difference. I don't care how God gets me to the kingdom. If I get to the kingdom on a donkey, I'll be happy. You go on a Tesla, I'll go on a donkey. We'll meet in the same place. See, we often focus on the mode of how God works. God could use a donkey. If you don't believe that, ask Balaam. Dumb prophet? Who was dumber? The donkey or Balaam? See, God's been using donkeys for a long time. But the lateness of our pregnancy made all the difference that Can you imagine you're nine months pregnant and you say to Joseph, well, according to the prophecy, we need to be in Bethlehem, but I'm close to delivery. Your husband's going to say, we need to sit you right. don't, Don't even move. But angels of God, the Spirit of God was working on the life of Mary and Joseph, governing a plan that, if you put this together, let me just pause for a moment and just show you what we call the Rubik's Cube of Divine intervention. You know Rubik's Cube, all the colors are all over the place? We sometimes think God's plans are all over the place. Okay, we go from Adam. We go through all the lineage and the sin of the, those who died and those who the devil tried to wipe out and the nations that came against Israel and the kings that fell and the kings that rose and the kings that were obedient and disobedient. And all through that whole thing, all that heaven wanted to do was deliver the seed of David, get that seed to Bethlehem. And he said it way back, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, through your seed, all the nations of the earth will be blessed. The devil's aim was to get rid of that seed because he, he remembered what the Lord said in the garden. I will put enmity between you and, between the woman and you, between your seed and her seed. He got that seed in his head, and he says, if I could just stop that seed, the world is mine. But praise God... The devil can even stop a seed. He tried. That's why he came after David. If I could get David off his throne and make his life a reproach, that seed will be as corrupt as he is. But David came to God in repentance, and later David's life became a testament to the kings that came after him. And the Lord even said to David, if you would walk, he said of David, if you would walk in the commandments as, my, as your father David did, and people say, what, David? That brute that killed the man, got his wife pregnant? That deceiver, that David? Can I say something today? God could clean up your past so good. He'll use you as an example of righteousness. Praise Praise his name. So that seed, from the repentant heart of a man who went astray big time, they are now on their way to his city to be born. What often appears to be a risk to humanity is an Appointment with divinity. God uses, hear this Bob, God uses strange arrangements to accomplish his extraordinary will. Strange. How all you guys end up in Thompsonville? And soon James and Reese will be here. Isn't it amazing that Thompsonville can make California look awful? God uses strange arrangements. How did Angela and Ian get here from Georgia? God uses strange arrangements. Come on, somebody, say amen. amen. How did you come, Joe and Nancy, from the Northwest? God uses strange arrangements to accomplish his extraordinary will. We wouldn't be here today. Why would you leave Arizona where it's Sunday, 99 out of 100 days a year, to come to Thompsonville? God uses strange arrangements. To accomplish his extraordinary will. I know I'm here. Look, right? Felicia and her husband. God, why would they come down here? God uses strange arrangements because he has an extraordinary will for your life. Amen, somebody. Amen. And You don't know what it is yet, but God is not going to bring that arrangement out in public until the delivery date. Wait. Wait on God. But the reason why so many people miss God's extraordinary benefits is because they try to figure God out. Some of us want to figure God out before God does his thing, and they want God to give them a list of how they're going to do, how how are you going to do that? You know what the Lord's answer is? Here it is in Isaiah 55. Here's the Lord's answers. When they try to figure God out, here's what he says to them. Isaiah 55, verse 8 and 9, but my thoughts are not your thoughts. Nor are your ways my ways, says the Lord. For as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways and my thoughts than your thoughts. Amen. Don't ask God. He said, you can't handle it. But so many many of us are stuck in the ordinary that we have not yet experienced the extraordinary workings of an unfamiliar God. And why I say unfamiliar, if you really knew God, you would trust him, right? I could trust my wife Why? I know her. Some of us know his name and his word and what he teaches, but the more you become familiar with God, the more you can trust him. He says, my ways and my thoughts are not like yours. Until we abandon our thoughts, God's higher purpose will always escape us. Until we desert our ways, God's ways will always look inconvenient. I mean, isn't it inconvenient for a pregnant woman to, to travel 70 miles on a donkey? Is that the understatement of inconvenient, Aaron? If Chris said, honey, we got to go, where are we going? We got 70 miles on Thompsonville's Donkey Express. And where are we going? 2,550 feet elevation. Are you nuts? And what made it even worse is God, Donna, chooses this inconvenient journey, and I don't want you to miss this, to show how God's timing is amazing. God chooses this inconvenient journey just before she delivers, which means, I don't know if Angela and Ian is ready for this one. Hold them down just in case they faint. When your life seems to be challenged, And your journey seems to be rough. You are closer to God's divine blessing than before. And sometimes God makes that journey difficult. Because he knows that you're closest. To the delivery date of his will for your life. He's going to say Angela. I'm about to take Ian to 2,500 feet elevation. Are you willing to travel with him? It's going to be rough going up there, but I know what he's going to be when he gets up there. God calls husbands and wives to trust when God moves upon a man's life, when God moves upon a woman's life, and you love her or you love him, God is saying, would you trust me while I take you down an unfamiliar path. And why am I saying that? Because Joseph had to trust that this was really God's child to follow his wife. She told me that an angel did this. I sure didn't believe it, but he told me that he did. I believe it now. <laughs> am I? That's where theory becomes experience. You can believe anything theoretically, but when you experience it, it changes your dealing with God. He didn't believe her. Would you believe your wife? Out of town three months? She don't send a text, an email, a phone call, nothing. Comes back three months later. What happened to you? An angel did it. That wouldn't fly. He, he was so unconvinced, he wanted to put her away privately. He said, you know what, this ain't going to work, but I'm going to spare you the public embarrassment. Just go, go. And while he thought about that at the night, the angel came to him and said, idiot, I'm behind this. What's happening in your wife's life is of the Holy Spirit. And he woke up the next day with a different attitude. Come on, wives, say amen. Sometimes God has to slap your husband in the head to get him to realize that God can work in your life too right God don't just call women or men he calls both of us I will pour out my spirit on all flesh So here we are in the middle of a difficult journey wondering why God does this I remember reading the story about a man who had been climbing Mount Everest and let me read his account because I want you to understand what I'm talking about here today Because Mount Everest more than 200 people died trying to make it to the summit of Mount Everest But they keep trying I read the story of a man who made it. Here's what he said. As he was at the last base camp making that last push, he said, when you feel that ache and that exhaustion, when you are leaving your wondrous conclusions behind, that's when you really are able to see what you had in you all along. Separate the men from the boys. Separate those who thought they had it from those who really do have it. Sometimes God has to increase the elevation in our lives. He's got to take us from our valley experience. I said the other day, sea level Christianity has its place. Sea level Christianity has its place. But God never intended for us to remain at the altitude that he found us. That's why the songwriter says, I'm pressing on. Come on, the upward way, new heights I'm gaining every day. The Apostle Paul says in Philippians 3 in verse 12 to 14, notice what he says about this upper journey. There's a Mount Everest in everybody's life. God never intended Christianity to remain at a sea level. Here's what Paul says, Philippians 3 verse 12, not that I have already attained or am already perfected, God's not done with me yet, but I press on. What did he do, Sam? I press on that I may lay hold of that for which Christ has also laid hold of me. He says, I'm holding on to that because Christ is holding on to me. But what is he doing? Brethren, I do not count myself to have apprehended, but one thing I do, forgetting those things which are where, friends, behind, and reaching where? Forward to those things which are ahead, I'm pressing toward the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. I'm reaching. Where am I reaching? I'm reaching for the upward call. What kind of call? Upward. God was giving us an example in the life of Mary. You cannot hang out in the Judean Valley. My dream for you is at 2,550 feet in the city. Of Bethlehem. I included this quote because some of you may have missed it. In the book Messages to Young People, page 40, paragraph 1, we read these words Higher, say that first word with me, higher than the highest human thought can reach is God's ideal for his children. Isn't that wonderful? Amen. Did Bob, did you know that God had an eldership for you 20 years ago? God reveals things only when he knows the time for your deliverance is right. But when he looks at our lives, he says, higher than the highest ideal. Higher than the highest human thought can reach. Embrace embrace that. Higher than the highest human thought can reach. How high can human thought reach? Let's see. What's the highest level of accomplishment in education? PhD. God says, that's too low for me. No, that's too too low. I need a willing heart. And if I have a willing heart, I can take him higher than a Ph.D. That's why I always have issues when people say, I've got my master's in divinity. How on earth can you master divinity? (laughs) Come on, James. We've got to talk about that one. How do you master divinity? I got my master's in divinity. I don't even want to tell you what just came in my head. It's like an ant saying, I found a nail. I know how to build the World Trade Center. Oh, no, friends. We can't master divinity. Higher than the highest human thought can reach is God's ideal for his children. So, brethren, don't make a covenant with sea-level Christianity. That's why many people miss God's plans for their life. Because they don't understand and embrace Here's a term that the Lord gave me this week. The inconvenience of divinity. Following God is not convenient. It's not for the faint of heart. Because the Lord does stuff in your life that you can't tell your family members about. Anybody know what I'm talking about? When God starts changing your life and you try to explain it, it becomes difficult. Because what God calls us to do does not does not harmonize with ordinary logic. It seems illogical. Why would anybody want to do that? When God puts his call on your life, what seems to be inconvenient is a divine appointment. That's, why the, reason, that's the reason why some people miss their opportunity with the divinity. They are too busy criticizing the inconvenience of what God calls them to do. I'm going to say that again. They are too busy criticizing the inconvenience of what God calls them to do. I cannot tell you how many times I've heard people say, Pastor, I can't do that. And you know what I've said to them? I know you can't. But you've just made the first statement, Ramona, that you are done trying. And now God is going to take over. So when you realize you can't do it, that's a good thing. Because God never asked you to do it. Philippians 2.12, 2.13. For it is God who works in you both to will and to do of his good pleasure. Who's working, friends? God's working, not you. So when you say, I can't do it, that's the first epiphany to giving God complete control of your life. I can't do it. Hmm. A lot of things I can't do. Mary Journey, her journey took her from the Nazarene Valley to an elevation of 2,550 feet. Why would God do that? Because every journey with God takes us higher than we were before. That's right. Stick with him. Don't get tired. Be not weary in doing well. In due time, you will reap if you don't faint. How fast was that donkey going? How long do we have? to? We, we got 69.8 miles left. How far do we have? We have 69.7 miles left. That's how the Christian life is. Lord, hurry up and make me like so-and-so. No, he takes his time because he doesn't want to make you like so-and-so. He wants to make you like Jesus. And it seems slow. Come on, anybody feel that way? How long is it going to be? So when you leave today, leave all your car keys. We got donkeys for everybody to go home on. (laughs) Just so you can get it. I like to see them down the road. God's got to work some of us out so we can be patient with divinity. Come on, amen, somebody. God is going to work it out. But why did God do that? See, God, God did not send Mary to Bethlehem at the time he did, Mary Kay, until he knew there was someone in her that was ready to come out. I'm not going to send her before because she's going to waste her time in Bethlehem. But I'm going to send her because there's somebody in her that's ready to come out. So you might be wondering, why is it taken so long? God is going to wait until the Jesus in you is ready to show the world that he's there. And he knows when that is. How do we know that there was someone in her that was ready to come out? Look at Luke 1, verse 35. And the angel answered and said to her, The Holy Spirit will come upon you, and the power of the highest. That's why he was taken up to 2,500 feet She's not hanging out with a low-level God. She's not hanging out with a sea-level Jesus. She's hanging out with a God who hangs out at high altitudes. Amen. (laughs) The power of the highest will overshadow you. Therefore, also, that Holy One who is to be born will be called the Son of God, Wrap your head around that, that the Lord says to you, Mary, do you realize that the one in you is the Holy One? Oh, man, I can't. I don't know. Janelle, how would you handle that? I don't know. I don't know. Who do you tell? You better not tell anybody because they won't believe you. You got to let God reveal himself so then they believe it. It was not until she revealed The one who was being born in her. And it took a time. It took a time for the Jesus working in her to be revealed. But what was true about Mary is also true about us. Let me make a point. We look at the life of Mary and say, what an amazing life. But what is true about her is also true about us. How do I know? The same Holy Spirit, Lord help me, that was working in Mary's life is also wanting to work in our lives. He said, the Holy Spirit will come upon you and the power of the highest will overshadow you. Well, look at Acts chapter 1 and verse 8. That's the same thing he said on the day of Pentecost that is true about every one of us. Here it is again, Acts 1 verse 8. But you shall receive power when the Holy Spirit has what? Come upon you. My brethren, when that happens, Jesus will reveal himself as resident in your life. And you, shall res- and you shall be witnesses to me in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. Did you make the connection? The Spirit of God that was putting Jesus in the life of Mary is the same Holy Spirit putting Jesus into our lives. Praise God. Praise God. The same Holy Spirit overshadowing her. My brethren, wants to overshadow every one of us. He wants Jesus to be seen in us. But the problem has been people want Jesus to be, to be revealed to them. But heaven wants to reveal Jesus through them. It's quite different. So I have a hard time when people say, I need to know what God's will for my life is. I've always, I've always had an issue with that. You know why? Because if God showed you his will for your life, you would, you, would, you would hide. He's going to say, Kevin Poling, I'm about to take you on a mind trip that you won't survive. You want to see my will for your life? Are you ready for it? You better fasten yourself in because this is 3D, 4K. I'm about to turn your mind inside out. Are you ready to see what I'm going to do to you in the next 15 years? Let me tell you something, Brethren. I went through some stuff that I'm glad God didn't show me ahead of time. Am I right? Because you know what I, you know what we would do, you know what we would do if God gave us a date when our lives was about to be turned upside down, we'd go hide on that date. Because a God told me that tomorrow the whole General Conference is going to try to fire me. I'm going to make sure that I'm nowhere near the General Conference on that particular date. Or tomorrow, we're going to have an accident. I'm not even getting in my car on that date. But God doesn't show us. And I'm so glad he doesn't. Because I don't want to see my life turned upside down. I just want to see my life turned right side up. But sometimes God's got to turn the car over before he puts it back on all four wheels. And some of us are stronger because of what we went through. Some of us can understand the weaknesses of others because we were weak. Some of us now have empathy where we were once judgmental. Sometimes we have to go through stuff to understand that we used to be a Pharisee, but now we are finally a Christian. God's got to bring us through the blender before he can put us on the table for anybody to even desire to have us in their presence. He's got to bring us through stuff. Those of you that think God is a God that works just like some sequential clock ticking, no, no, no. God works in ways, as we've often said, God works in mysterious ways. But I like the way that Ellen White says in Christ's Object Lesson, she says, page 314, when a soul receives Christ, he receives power to live the life of Christ. You cannot do it without power. You can't do it with just intellectual understanding. You cannot do it with a theological understanding of anything that you've learned. You can't put God in a 28 fundamental box. And if you worship a vegan God, you're in trouble. I'm sorry, those of you that are just vegan. I don't mean that you can't be vegan. But don't think that you have to be vegan to be saved. Cause at the last minute, God gonna save some folk that just came from Burger King. <laughs> Hallelujah! That He can do that. God can do that. Yeah, He saved a thief on the cross, who never gave a Bible study. Right? Yeah. Couldn't even make it to the baptism, but God said, "You will be with me in paradise." God knows how to save folk. So until the Holy Spirit comes upon us, the presence of Jesus cannot be in us. Until the Holy Spirit comes upon us, we cannot be witnesses to Jesus. Don't think that you have to study something brand new in order to experience Jesus. You need to say, Father, I cannot do it on my own. I need the power of your Spirit in my life so that somebody can know that it works for me. And by the way, I'm so glad to know that this census happened before Jesus was born because if Joseph returned to his roots to register, let me say that again. I'm glad that the census happened before Jesus was born. Because if Jesus had to take Mary to his city to take a census he would have had to take Mary to heaven you'll get that on Tuesday I'm so glad that the census happened before Jesus was baptized because if Jesus had to take Mary to his city before the census happened Mary would have been in heaven. Is God's timing powerful? I love the way David the psalmist talks about this God that came into time and space and humanity. Psalm 90 verse 1 and 2. Lord, thou hast been our dwelling place in all generations. Before the mountains were brought forth. Or ever thou hast formed the earth and the world. Even from together. Everlasting. Everlasting. To everlasting thou art God. Mary became a temporary den for the lion of the tribe of Judah. Mary became the vessel out of which the oil of gladness would flow. Mary became the garden out of which the rose of Sharon would bud. Mary had more power in her than all the earthly nuclear reactors combined. If God did not step down his power, he would have annihilated the life of Mary. Yet he stepped down. He turned the power back so that he could increase the power in our lives. Did you grab that? He turned the power back so he can increase the power in our lives. David said, your throne is established from old. You are from everlasting. Psalm 90 in verse 3. 93 in verse 2, thank you, my sweet. I cannot comprehend that God would come down here. Why, why would God want to come down here? Save me. That debunks the whole idea of aliens. You know, people always talk about UFOs. Why would an alien want to come down here and risk getting robbed? <laughs> really? We talk about aliens. Jesus is not an alien. He came down and risked everything so he can rescue us. Is that a praise the Lord? In eternity, when the plan of salvation was being put together, we were on the mind of God. How do I know that? David the psalmist made it clear. Psalm 8 verse 1, verse 3 and verse 4. O Lord, our Lord, how excellent is your name in all the earth, who have set your glory above the heavens. And I love this. When I consider your heavens and the work of your fingers, the moon and the stars, which you have ordained, look at what he says. What is man that you are mindful of him? And the son of man that you visit him. I praise God today. That I was on the mind of Jesus. And he came down to visit us. Amen. You know why he came to visit us? So that one day we could live with him. He came to give us a preview of who our neighbor is going to be. I can't wait to live next door to Jesus. But I asked the question. He was on our minds. He was on our minds, that's why we should keep him on our minds. Mary and Joseph ended up in Bethlehem because they allowed divinity to guide their steps. You must understand the comparisons in the divine appointment is as God guided Mary and Joseph, God wants to guide our own feet. Where you end up is not up to you. Where you end up is up to God. What happens in your future is not up to you. What happens in your future is up to God. How do I know that? Psalm 37, verse 23. The steps of a good man are ordered by the Lord, and he delights in his way. God guides your step. We have to be willing to follow how or where God leads before we will do what he desires to do in our lives. A life surrendered to God does not worry about how, what, and where. A life surrendered to God doesn't even wonder how much. How much? I can tell you today, my wife and I have traveled to more than sixty countries. How much did we pay to go? Nothing. You don't think that God could? You don't think that God's credit is deep enough to take you where He wants you to take you? Now, let me wind this up. So I'm just previewing different components of the journey of Mary and Joseph and the entrance of Jesus into our lives. We have to be willing to follow how or where God leads until he gets us to the place where we allow him to do in us what he desires to do. A life surrendered to God does not need to worry about how, where, when, and even how much. Because God's resources are far greater. Now let's get down to the delivery date. Let's look at Luke chapter 2 and verse 6. Luke Luke chapter 2 and verse 6 as the story begins to wind up. So it was. Those three words are magnificent. They almost seem to suggest coincidentally. Just so happened to be that while she was there. That's the way we often read it in the language. But what it means is, as God ordained, that while they were there, the days were completed for her to be delivered. Now, it didn't say for him to be delivered. It says for her to be delivered. Let's understand this. We could look at this two ways. From her to be delivered from what? We know that the time came for Jesus to be delivered, but the days were complete for her to be delivered. Now, playing on the words, you could say, well, Pastor John, what that really means is the day came for the child to be delivered through her. I believe that. But let me tell you something. There's something deeper that God showed me here. When your life is growing through difficult circumstances, you can't wait for the day to come for you to be delivered from it. Am I right? Do you think... That having the stigma of possibly being impregnated before marriage was not a burden that Mary was carrying? Do you think that being seen as a woman who could have possibly been immoral and Joseph is not the father of this child, do you see that the birth pangs of carrying this child for 70 miles for nine months For the day-by-day changes being made in her life, I can tell you, we've never had children, and even if it was possible for us to have a son, I don't think I'd be the one delivering it. Let me make it clear, I can't have kids. Just to make it clear. But I've seen women go through labor, and I can tell you, they are all happy when that baby comes out. Right? Right? They are, I am so glad he's out. I've heard women say that. I am so glad he's out or she's out. God was not only delivering Jesus to the world. God was delivering Mary from the responsibility, from the day-by-day responsibility of caring For the child being born in her. When Jesus is being born in us, there's a day by day responsibility that we have to care for the child that is being born in us. What do you mean, Pastor John? If you don't read your Bible daily, the child being born in you is going to die. If you don't eat abundantly and regularly of God's word, the child in you, the child Jesus being born in you, cannot be developed, will not be nurtured. Watch your diet. Somebody ought to say amen. Watch your daily diet if your diet is not spiritual. The Jesus that wants to survive living in your life will not survive if you're feeding him things that can kill his development rather than develop him even stronger. So my brethren, today, divine appointments... Everybody has a divine appointment. Mary had a divine appointment with Jesus. Jesus had a divine appointment with Mary. And today, as the Bible says, she brought forth her firstborn son, wrapped him in swaddling cloths, and laid him in a manger because there was no room in the inn. I'm just telling you the scripture, what we read. There is no room in the inn. Today, let me ask you the question as I close. Do you want to make room in the inn for Jesus today? Because what was true in those days is also true today. There was no room for Jesus in those days. But how ironic it is that if Jesus could have knocked on the door of every inn in Bethlehem and hear the same phrase, there's no room in the inn, how ironic that the Bible recorded that When Revelation 3 says, when Revelation 3 verse 20 says the same thing, behold, as Jesus, the risen Jesus, the Jesus that came to save you, the glorified Jesus, I'm in the same predicament as I was when Mary was carrying me because today it's not Mary and Joseph knocking, I'm knocking. I want to invite someone to come to the piano. I said, Summer, I meant Danielle. The Mary and Joseph that knocked for Jesus, they got no response. But I want you to grab this. Today, Jesus Himself is knocking. Behold, I stand at the door and knock. You know, we say if people only knew it was Jesus, they probably would have opened the door, right? People look back on the baptism of Naaman. In the Jordan, and they say if Naaman had only known that Jesus would also be baptized in the Jordan, he wouldn't have a problem with it. Now, we look back at the birth of Mary, the birth of Jesus, when Mary and Joseph had the door closed in their faces, and people said there's no room in the inn. We look back and say, if they only knew that Jesus was going to be that child, everybody would have given him room in their inn, right? Who would not have? But here we are today. Behold, I stand at the door and knock. If anyone will hear my voice, would you open the door and come in? Would you open the door and let me in? I wanna come in and sup with you and you with me. So today, We look back with disdain on those. Why would they not open the door? But I ask you today if you would simply open the door today, there's a divine appointment that Christ has set for every one of us. How many of you want to stand today and say, I'm going to open that door? I don't know what's going to happen when I open the door, but it can't be worse than where I already am. I'm going to open that door. Because the one knocking is the king of the universe. The God who takes vacation from setting up universes and galaxies, the God who spoke and it was done, the God who formed man from the dust of the ground. I want that one to be sitting at my dinner table. I want him to come into my life. I don't know what's going to happen after I open the door, but it can't be worse than where I am already, than where I am right now. I want to make room for Jesus in my life. That's why I end with what I began with, to appreciate what Jesus has done for us. We've got to make room for Jesus to do something in us. So what are we going to sing? We're going to sing, take time to be holy. Take time to be holy. If Jesus was sitting at your table, would you take time to be holy? Today I want us to sing that song before I close with prayer. But I'm challenging you today. If you're watching, I'm challenging you today. Everything that Mary and Joseph went through was for the development of their journey with Jesus. But today, the risen Savior, the glorified Lord, the King of kings, who's gone on a journey of his own so he can take us to the place where the door will be open for us. Today, as we sing this song, just the first stanza. I want us to take time to be holy. The year is winding up. If God allows us to make it to 2022, praise His name. But today, make your decision to take time to give Jesus His own way in your life. Let's sing that together. Take Take time time to to be holy speak oft with thy Lord. that story my mind went down to the end of this story they wouldn't open the door for jesus now he's knocking on our hearts door to open the door for him and he's gone to open the door for us divine appointments he says i've set before you an open door that no one can shut god has a divine appointment for every one of us and nobody can prevent that divine appointment but you if you hear him knocking for changes to take place in your life, invite him in and he'll make the change. Invite him in and your life will be revolutionized. Invite him in and you will understand the inconvenience of divinity on your way to an elevated relationship with the Son of the Most High. Is that your desire today? Loving Father in heaven, loving Father, loving Lord, some of us have made a pact with sea level Christianity. We're comfortable down here because It doesn't require much effort. We can still observe your creation in all of its beauty. But sometimes we we resist the call to go up higher. We don't want to press toward the goal for the upward call of God. We want to hang out in the valley because it seems easier. But Lord, one day you're going to take us up higher. We're going to inhabit the city you've gone to prepare for every one of us. You don't want to wait till that day. You want to take our lives higher now. Elevate our thoughts. Elevate our character. Elevate our abilities and skills. Get us ready for ministry. You want us to understand that sometimes it's an arduous journey. It seems like we're journeying on a, on a refurbished donkey, but yet ahead of us is a divine revelation. May we be patient as we journey with you may we be patient as your blessings know no haste and no delay may we hold on until the day that we see what you've always understood that we can be finally when this journey for us is done as i've said earlier today may we walk through that open door that you set before us may we see the savior who loves nothing more than to sup with us in our daily lives? Bless us, precious Savior. And in this season, may people find the door that has been opened in our hearts, that they may see the Christ who lives in us, that they may come to know Him and dedicate themselves completely to Him. We ask these things, Father, only for Your glory.